The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 podcast network while you're at it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, and I want everyone to brace themselves that are listening for what I'm about to say. It is officially a victory Monday here in Tallahassee. Round of applause. Hey, everyone. (laughs) Needed it. Needed it as FSU finally notches one in the left side of the win column against Syracuse. 33-30 this last Sunday. Or (laughs) Saturday, sorry. Uh, Parents weekend. It was a great, great atmosphere. And uh, FSU, Mike Norvell can finally pump their fists and say that they got one. Uh, We're going to dive all into that game and and what exactly it meant, what went wrong, what went right for Florida State to kind of get them uh, into the win column, and uh, certainly a whole lot more from what I thought was the best sports weekend we've had in a while. Uh, So we have a lot to get into there, but before we get into all that, joining me as always in the co-host chair is the talented Gabe Tisnes. Gabe, how you doing, bud? Luke, we can actually talk about FSU for once and not actually cry in the middle of the show when we when we take our break. I can verify that. Gabe is actually kind of <laughs> taking some time. He's broken down mid-show before. He, he's had, had to take a moment in the corner to, to regather himself. But Gabe, I know we're going to get into FSU, but I don't think we're going to have enough time to talk about the Saints. But the Saints, tough, tough loss this last week. Yeah, it was tough, um, but you know we're Danny saying, Dimes. Danny Dimes did it to us. He and Saquon. Saquon's back finally. He, I have him. In, I have him in a fantasy team and in two of my leagues, and I went three and zero. So that's what I'm going to focus on. The Saints, you know, they're, they're they screwed it up this week, but the season's still long, 17 weeks. Uh, I, I don't have much else to say. Can you that. can you say that you can handle your team better than Sean Payton can handle the Saints? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> Sean Sean's got it hard right now with Jameis and the the amount of injuries right now, but. I have faith in him. Hey, Gabe, your record says what your record is. That's, That's correct. Who you are. So We're I'd say you're better than Sean Payton. <laughs> That's right. Mm, I wouldn't say that right now. We shall see. Maybe but at the end of the season. Thank you, Gabe. And and also joining us on the panel, making his return, Jackson Bakich. Jackson, how you doing, bud? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. If I was any better, I'd be sick. <laughs> uh, how was your last weekend? I know you went, to the, you went to the FSU game as well. I did. I enjoyed it a lot. It was great with parents' weekend. I'd say... Quite a bit. Yeah, I, I know you, you went to a couple games over the weekend besides mm-hmm. the football game. You went to, I believe, volleyball and soccer? I went to the two volleyball games. I went to uh, North Carolina State, where they won in four sets, and I also went to the UNC game. Pretty easy three-set win. Um, nothing to take away from other than that. Uh, the volleyball team has is probably going to enter the top 25 soon, uh, going 4-1 and one in the ACC. All right. Well, good to hear Jack there. Also... Back in the we just had Scott Clemens of all people walk into uh, the studio here. So as always, shout out to Scott, shout out to Sebastian who's going to join us a little bit later in the show. Uh, they're always keeping us in check uh, in the production booth there. So shout out to them. 
Shout out to Gabby, our social media coordinator, our, our, our lead co our, our lead anchor uh, in charge of everything else going on behind the scenes here at WVS. She is in the building, a packed house. Uh, I mean, I guess once FSU starts winning, everyone just wants to flock back. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's cer- it certainly has an effect on everyone in Tallahassee. Well, gentlemen, let's get right into it. Now that, we, now that introduction out of the way, we can start talking about what was Florida State's first victory of the season, finally. Finally, Florida State gets in the win column with a 33-30 last-second victory over the previously unbeaten, I, re- I believe, uh, Syracuse Orangemen. I believe they were 3-1, 3-1 on the season uh, compared to Florida State's 0-4. Uh, but Florida State gets the victory, 33-30 on a Ryan, Fitz, uh, sorry, Ryan Fitzgerald uh, last-second kick. Looked a little right at the start, but he drills it in the end, as Jordan Travis said after the game. That's my dog. I knew he was going to make it. That is my dog right there. Uh, it's been a long time coming for this Florida State team. And really, more importantly, it's been a long time coming for this show. I feel like we've been so down in the dumps the last couple weeks. Gabe has run out of things to say about <laughs> this team. It got so so melancholy to that point. Uh, but Florida State comes out of this victorious. Uh, Gabe. Looking back on, on, on this game on Saturday, just what jumps off to you at the start of, of, of why Florida State, what looked different in this game compared to the product that we've seen the last couple weeks? Well, it has to start with Jordan Travis. I mean, you can clearly see the difference between him and, and Mackenzie Milton's offenses. And that's nothing to say on, on the difference between, oh, who's the better player? It's just who has the best capability to actually run the offense that's presented to them. And, and right now, Jordan just seems to be able to do more with less. I think McKenzie has the ability to do more with more, which is not what FSU currently has. And, and as well, Norvell has had a, over a year to, to prepare with, with Jordan Travis. He, he's, he's been well-equipped with him. Um, so, I, honestly, I didn't learn much. I didn't learn much from this game other than, like, FSU got lucky a little bit, which mm. is not the worst thing in the world. I mean, even good teams need to be lucky sometimes, but uh, it's just good to, to see them win for, for once. I mean, the, the fans, they, they needed this, and... It's, it's a little bit of stopping the bleeding, damage control, but I don't think it's going to do much because they have a lot of other tough games coming up. So your record says who you are, like I said last week, and now you're 1-4. and four. So, yeah, you celebrated on Saturday. Hoorah. Happy, happy parents weekend. And now you wake up. Time to get to UNC and see what you got there. Um, their identity is still a work in progress. I, I don't see this team really, like, uh, cementing themselves in the run game as much as we accept, expect them to because that's just – how unbalanced they are, and we we saw them get into a lead a couple times, but they were never able to just break loose, which is what I wanted to see from them if they were going to win. And no, they they stopped, uh, you know, getting aggressive. They 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 committed penalties when 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 they weren't supposed to, and because of that, they remained in the game with Syracuse, giving them an opportunity at the end of the game to actually win it. So I'm not very convinced by this team after this week. I, mm. I'm I'm just happy for the for the players in Norvell because. I mean, it gets tiring hearing us every week, you know, blasting them for for all that they do. Not that they don't deserve it, but, you know. Yeah. Well, Jackson Gabe certainly can't take a whole lot out of this. But I think the one thing that that I was looking for, at least, and we talked about this on the show last week, um, was sort of how this Florida State team, after the way the second half of the Louisville game went, uh, what kind of product were we going to see to start the game? Because the one thing that I think this team couldn't have happen was after all the good momentum they had built up in the second half of the Louisville game, whether that was Louisville playing off or, or what have you, whether that was, was fool's gold or not, 
it was something. It was something to latch on to uh, and to build off of into the Syracuse game. And they got off to a great start. They got off to a 10 nothing start. They stonewall Syracuse on, I believe, Syracuse's first drive of the game on a fourth down there. And, and they build up a double-digit lead uh, before you know it, which is far from what we've come to expect this Florida State team uh, to produce in, in their starts this season. Uh, so to you, how big of a difference was that Florida State starting off that way and, and whether you can uh, expect to see that moving forward? If Just what does that mean for how this uh, team is going to operate starting games moving forward? Well, all great teams, they have to respond. And whether that's responding to difficulties or, which I think is even more important, responding to success. Like you said, they had success in the second half against Louisville, and they came out, you know, cylinders were firing against Syracuse early on and, you know, later in the game as well. But I thought the Knolls played like a team that grew. Not just because they won, but every time they had their back against the wall, they responded to adversity. And when they were up 30 to 20 late in the game, um, you know, they have that muff really late in the game that kind of changes the total momentum and they immediately give up those 10 points unanswered however instead of waiting to lose which I think sometimes Florida State happens to do you know that they're so used to losing they're kind of like well this is it we're just gonna have to kind of let it happen they seize their opportunity with about a minute left and they won the game and we were kind of talking about this um, pre-show when we played UNC or excuse me when Florida State played UNC Last year. It, it, last year, correct. Yeah. It felt as though UNC lost the game and Florida State didn't necessarily win it because, you know, you have those two drop passes on UNC's final drive. They give up 28 unanswered points in the second half. However, it felt as though Florida State won this game. Mm. At the end, they did what they had to do to go out and win it. So that's what I that's what I like to see. I was very happy to see it. And Florida State went down. Jordan Travis went down and won the game, and it was good to see. Yeah, Jack, I... I think we're we're at the point in the season. So, I have trouble with with fans that are that were calling this like a huge win or a must win game. This team and this program was so past the point of having games be must win games. Jacksonville State was a must win game. Like that's a game that you mm-hmm. can't lose, and they lost it. So I think at this point in the season we have moved past judging how this team is going to to respond based off of wins and losses. I don't think that's something that that you can do. Uh, however, what did you take? What were the the intricacies of this game that you took away uh, that maybe Florida State could build off of going forward in this game? Besides just the the thirty three to thirty win on on the record book there, I think the big thing that FSU had a problem with, and, and it's well documented, is third and fourth downs. Uh, third downs was a huge issue, um, and today they did, or I'm sorry, Saturday did better, going six for fifteen, which twenty percent, or sorry, forty percent doesn't sound very good. But in comparison to Syracuse, who went 2-for-12, so much better. Syracuse also went 0-for-3 on fourth downs. Yeah, both sides of the ball, they were a lot better. Mm-hmm. They were they were locked down on both sides, or at least better. Not, not even in comparison to Syracuse. In comparison to Florida State yeah. this season, they were a lot better. And, and that leads me to my next question for, for Jackson or Gabe, if you want to take a hold of this. And Gabe, you kind of touched on it earlier. I think a large part of that, that success on third down... There's no denying that it had to do with, with Jordan Travis and his ability to make plays uh, with his feet and convert on, on some of these third downs or even keep plays alive. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind this game is a, a lot tighter than a 33-30 to 30 game could be, and it's probably leaning towards a, a, a Florida State loss, in my opinion, if Mackenzie Milton is starting this game. Syracuse 
Syracuse was able to get after Jordan Travis and put some heat on him and make him run uh, for a lot of this game. So I can't imagine uh, what it would have been like if Mackenzie Milton is out there. And I think by putting Jordan Travis out there leading up to the game, like leading up this whole week, there wasn't any real mention of Jordan Travis starting this game and playing as much as he did. And now we get today where the depth chart clearly states Jordan Travis, numero uno, no more and, no more or Mackenzie Milton. Travis, if he is healthy, is going to be the guy moving forward. Uh, what does that provide for this Florida State team moving forward, Jackson? It definitely provides some relief for the offensive line. That's exactly what it provides. Because I cannot count, or excuse me, I lost count how many times Jordan Travis evaded a sack last year and including this year as well. Um, now, I do think there are some times where he needs to get rid of the ball earlier and make a decision quicker or commit to passing the ball when he has the opportunity to do so. However, he makes this team so much more dynamic than what it actually is, and that's all because of his legs. And I think he is a good enough of a passer to where defenses have to respect him. But you know, once he really gets his arm down and he's a lot more comfortable in the pocket, and I think when they give him more starts and they, the coaching staff respects him more, that's when his confidence level goes up. It's like we've seen last in like last year during Georgia Tech. I don't know if y'all remember this, but they put him in for a couple plays and he's in no rhythm and he can't make a throw. But when you have him in the pocket consistently, it's kind of like a pitcher that's you know starting in a rotation once every five days. So I think you know when we give this quarterback confidence and we allow him to do his thing, that allows him to play to the best of his ability, and it really makes the offense much more dynamic and not one-dimensional. I think not, not, not just the offensive line, but the whole offense. I mean, it seems to just grow in chemistry, grow in confidence, knowing that they know who's going to be back there. They know what their identity is going to be more so. Uh, because Mackenzie Mullen, he came in this offseason, and he's not had enough time to develop as a quarterback coming back from that horrible injury. So, yeah, Jordan Travis is, is the guy to go f going forward. I don't see how Mackenzie takes the reins uh, back from him. And, I mean, going back to how Syracuse struggled on third down on defense. They also struggled on third down on offense because they were 2 of 15 from third and fourth down combined, which is mind-boggling when you saw the game because Schrader was just running all over the place. He, he ran for 130 oh, yeah. yards, three touchdowns on the ground. I mean, he was doing his best Jordan Travis impersonation. <laughs> and, and, and somehow they were so bad on third down, which is where FSU, I think, won the ball game because they stopped them twice in the red zone on fourth down including uh, at the end of the game where, where it really mattered most. So they bend it a lot of times, but they didn't break. So that's where I think FSU finally fixed some of their mistakes. They, they also didn't commit as many penalties as we've seen them. It was, it was quite impressive. I got a sh shout out to Norvell for that. Finally seems to, to get the, the squad going in the right direction. In that I, I, I do like that. It, and it's been the last couple of games. FSU will get a, a rap based off the Willie Taggart era and, and early into Mike Norvell's uh, tenure that they, they were an undisciplined team. Well, the last couple of games... They they have committed way less penalties than their opponents have. Getting, dating all the way back to the Wake Forest game, they committed less penalties, I believe, than Wake Forest did, which was a really undisciplined team. I may be wrong about that, but we we'll, we'll see about that. Jack, I know you had some more stats that you wanted to throw out there as, as to why FSU uh, potentially I was, won. I was especially going to point out that um, when Jordan Travis comes in against Georgia Tech last year and does way better than James Blackman, uh, it's hard to. Uh, it's hard for me to get a read on Jordan Travis because he has he doesn't throw the ball exceptionally well and he's supposed to get better and he did he did he 
outdueled his uh, quarter his opposing quarterback, who only threw for fifty seven percent, while Jordan Travis threw for sixty nine percent and got two touchdowns and only one pick, which was a really nice hell of a pick by Syracuse. A heads up play by them. But uh, even the rushing game for FSU didn't really do all that much besides a huge Trayshawn Ward yeah. uh, 65-yard run, which should have been a touchdown but wasn't. And then Jayshon Corbin really uh, capitalized and just put in the one-yard touchdown. And uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the team. I'm optimistic for it. But at the same time, it's Syracuse. Yeah, Jackson, is it concerning a little bit that that although you know Florida Florida State puts up thirty three points, but a lot of that was improvisation by Jordan Travis. It didn't feel like this offense really had any rhythm or something that they could lean on besides Jordan Travis making broken plays into first downs uh, with his feet there. Um, I don't. I, I still don't know what to make of this offense or what they're trying to accomplish, and that's got to be concerning, especially when you take multiple double-digit leads, and Syracuse somehow finds a way back in because of mistakes on both the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball. I mean, has our offensive line, I'd say, you know, our offense as a whole been a problem and been a definitely one of the biggest areas for room of improvement? I'd say, yeah, sure. Um, but like I said earlier, when we needed to score points, I think we did. Um, however... I was much more concerned with the defense giving up points in critical moments and the special teams obviously muffing that punt. But the offense, I don't know, I was at the game, and maybe there's a different feel for it at the game compared to watching on TV, but I felt those, the offense had some rhythm. I thought running the ball with Treshawn Ward, they uh, they looked a lot better. Um, I think Treshawn Ward needs to get the ball a lot more. And I, I don't know if y'all have seen the stats, but I believe Treshawn Ward and Deshaun Corbin are like 9 and 12th nas- nationally um, in yards per carry. Does that sound about right? Yeah. So, you know, when we're doing things, we're doing things well. But this offensive line, it is just so topsy-turvy. I've n- I never know when they're going to play well and when they're going to play bad. Yeah. Well, they're, they're obviously – oh, Gabe, yeah. I was going to say they're obviously banged up on the offensive line, which kind of puts you in a hole to start with. But, but go ahead, Gabe. Yeah, going on the – out what was it but basically yeah like FSU didn't really seem to to, to be composed the whole game it was either third and, and, and out three and out or long drives methodical they had a five play 80 yard drive where I thought Jordan Travis looked stupendous but there were so many times where it just seemed like he was just trying to make something out of nothing which sometimes it's his fault sometimes it's the offense's fault but either case I don't see this offense being able to do that every week especially against better opposition so that's why I've never really been a fan of Jordan Travis taking the reins for the whole season, and that's why I wanted to see him against C. Milton, uh, you know, maybe be FSU savior, but obviously that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, and, I mean, FSU, as much as they did to win the game, they lost the turnover battle. They were outgained. Uh, Syracuse had a position to win at the end of the game, so I'm not very encouraged, but a win is a win. So It felt as though we were a first and third quarter team, for sure. It felt <laughs> as though, you know, we we did very well before Syracuse made adjustments. Yeah. You it, can make the argument that those are the quarters that you don't want to be like a I first agree. and third quarter, something like that, Gabe. Yeah, but after what we saw the last two weeks, it was really encouraging how they started, which is, you know, the really funny part. You start off so good, and now when you actually need to, to keep on the gas pedal, it, somehow they just took it off. I, I really don't get the read on this team by any means, but maybe Saturday we'll clear up some more things. 
Yeah, I, I think the and, and Jack, you can touch on this if, if I'm if I'm off base here, but I think one of the main concerns for Florida State moving forward, despite the win, is the fact that a lot of their offensive success can be attributed to to Jordan Travis moving with his feet. Mm-hmm. You can't bank on that for the entire season. Like there's a precedent here, Jordan Travis. Mm-hmm. If he takes that many snaps against higher quality opponents as the season goes on. He's probably not going to last the entire game for you, and he took some big hits in this game, and yeah. and so you know, his, his he's obviously going to be the number one quarterback moving forward. The depth chart tells us that much, although I don't know how much stock you can put into the depth chart. Uh, but are you concerned at all about this offense if Jordan Travis were to say go out of another game? Like, I really feel like if you set a precedent based off of this game that you're going to be fine with Jordan Travis running all around and he gets knocked out, I don't know where you go from there. I think there was a problem at the beginning of the season where you don't know which quarterback you have. Um, Any football team who has an issue with two quarterbacks, they've never been successful, or at least it's not been done for a long time. So the offensive line, all the weapons who have to play two different styles with Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis over the summer, all of a sudden have to you know, change their game weekly. And so now that there is uh, hopefully a set precedent for Jordan Travis being the guy, they can at least adjust and round to that. But what I can't say, though, is for Jordan Travis is that he is a wild card, and that's well documented. And maybe with a couple a year or two under his belt, maybe he can do better. But until then, it's just it's a little icy. And a lot of people forget that the hard part of the schedule for Florida State is after North Carolina. Well, after, excuse me, after UMass. This was supposed to be the easy part. It was the, it was the Notre Dame game. It was the Jacksonville State. It was the Wake Forest is way better than anyone thought they'd be with sixth and seventh year seniors. Um, <laughs> Louisville, uh, you you can say maybe Florida State should have won that, and Louisville isn't as talented as uh, Florida State made them out to be. And those are three games I think at the beginning of the season you would have said for sure wins. And now you're saying okay, you can maybe get one or two games, maybe get the Syracuse win, and they did get the UMass win. And if they don't then there's going to be a bigger problem than there was for Jacksonville State. Yeah. I, I that There's no way they can lose the U.S. I'm, I'm like... Well, I, they lost I, to Jacksonville I, State, yep, so... Yep, I, you can't really chalk up any game as a win from this point forward. Uh, but Jackson, going to the defense, I I hate harping on this team so much after a win like this, but there were still a ton of big plays that Syracuse made where guys are just running wide open on these little... Um, not curl routes, but seam like routes. slant routes, seam, seam routes, and 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 going to the boundary and and getting wide open and guys blowing coverages. It's only going to get tougher from here. So, is there an adjustment Adam Fuller can make this late in the season, or does he kind of see the writing on the wall that if heads are going to roll at the end of the season, it's probably going to be his. him? Like, how does he it's handle his. that? Well, it was Parents Weekend. And I will. I want to apologize to my parents real quick because when there was a busted coverage, I did swear in front of them. So I apologize. Oh, no. <laughs> um, however. At this point, you know, there's been so many busted coverages. I'm not sure if it's just a total, you know, player mental breakdown or if it's a coaching thing. I, I mean, I that's what I talked about a couple weeks ago on Tom yeah. Talk. You know, it, it it's hard to decipher whether this is an X's and O's or Jimmy's and Joe's problem. Or both. Or both. Probably both. It's <laughs> probably both. And, but, you know, we have a lot of, we have a great um, recruiting class coming in. I'm excited to see what Adam Fuller can do with these new recruits, especially as these guys get more and more into their belt. Remember, this is their first spring under Adam Fuller, or this is the first time they've had a spring under Adam Fuller. So I'm excited to see where we can go from here. But 
as honestly as of now, it's not looking good. I think we can all agree on that. I think I have one takeaway from the defense is that a big problem that I saw them have was third downs and dealing with out routes. Quick routes yep. where you go quick to the sidelines. That was FSU's kryptonite, it seemed. You throw an out route, they could not cover it. No, you put your DBs, like Florida State's defensive backfield for about the billionth year in a row, comes into the season with, with positive momentum. They're they're looking like they could be one of the units on the team that this team can rely on. And once again, they're just getting picked apart, especially on those out routes, as you mentioned, Jack. And I think the worst part is that isn't the... Um... I wouldn't say the defensive backs in the backfield are even the worst um, part of the defense, and obviously it's the, I think it's well-documented. It's the linebackers that have been an issue with young and inexperienced. But. Yeah, and and certainly this defense that, that we're talking about here takes another hit today. Dennis Briggs Jr. out for the season. Oh, uh, they confirmed huge, huge blow to Florida State. Florida State's front four, which has been the biggest part of their team and their defense thus far. That's the one thing that you can hang your hat on. And, of course, they lose yet another defensive lineman for the season there. To go along with, oh, by the way, Travis Hunter, their top recruit, so broke at least at least seen in an air cast. I don't know the severity of the injury that he posted online uh, over the weekend, but more bad news for Florida State in the recruiting department there. He's still committed, but we don't know the extent of this injury. Our father, who are <laughs> Let's just send um, Jermaine Johnson to do it all. There you go. Yep, he's an NFL guy. I've... That's the one. My, that's one. My one takeaway that you can you can hang your hat on if you're this defense is that Jermaine Johnson will be an NFL player. He almost had a sack, his seventh sack of the game, in, in that strip sack, and then it was overturned. So he keeps balling yeah. as, as, lo- as long as he and, and Treshawn Ward keep balling. We'll, we'll be able to send some guys to the NFL and, and keep that streak going. Um, last takeaway for me for the game is two things: special teams and the adjustment to the quarterback uh, scrambling. I don't know much about Schrader. And how how athletic he is. He's six he's, foot four. So. He's 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 a dude. He was a dude at Mississippi State when they were they, when they were running him. He's the guy that got absolutely flipped over against Kansas State. If you remember that that viral video, but he's he's been running basically. Yeah, the helicopter play. Uh, he's been running for for most of his career. Okay. There, yeah. Well, either way, <laughs> the mid game adjustments were not seen at all because he just kept on running and running. And I think if they were able to contain him. The game would have been a lot easier for FSU, and obviously that's easier said than done. But one thing they should have definitely uh, adjusted was the special teams. Obviously, Ontario Wilson, one of the most reliable players on offense. That's not saying much, but um, he's got the most experience at the receiver position. He muffed a punt, like Jackson was saying. And then uh, Jaquie Douglas, a redshirt freshman, he was fielding kick returns, and he was averaging like 13 yards. I, I, I not, his pitter pattern for sure. I cannot understand how you just leave him out there, and I, yeah. I, I hope they don't put him out there against... UNC, but either way, FSU had the advantage of starting with good field position most of the game because Syracuse's backup punter was not doing anything, mm-hmm. and and yet they were struggling in the kick return department. So uh, there's some some things they still need to figure out. But a win is a win. Uh, going forward, we got they they got UNC. So yeah, we we are actually going to wrap up the first half of Tomahawk talk here, and we're going to come back. We're going to look ahead to UNC a little bit that is on the docket for Florida State and break down a whole lot more of what happened in this weekend in sports. But that has been the first half of Tomahawk Talk. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We will be right back. All right, we are back here for the second half of Tomahawk Talk on the 4th of October. Finally, October October weather, October football, and talking a little bit more October baseball towards the end of the show here. But... Really quickly, uh, Florida State soccer, another victory to go 11-0. and uh, they, they beat Clemson 4-1. to 
Yawn, yet, yet another win for, for this program here. And, Jack, I know you have a little bit more to say on that. Yep. Uh, spe- again, uh, shout-out to head coach Mark Kirkonen, his 300th win at Florida State. Uh, again, yep. Yeah. Uh, they remain perfect at 11-0, 4-0 in the ACC. Uh, Clemson wasn't a – Clemson's not a, a, exactly a great team. Uh, there will be greater opponents ahead for Florida State. But Clemson did take the initial lead uh, – Florida State answered with Kristen Pavzalevsko, her third goal in the season, uh, and then another goal later, like two like two minutes later after that, and then once we went into the second half, Beta Olsen, who's leading, I believe, uh, put her seventh and eighth goals to make it four one for FSU in a quick, uh, quick little game four one, and then uh, they also play Thursday night against Syracuse and the Hurricanes of Coral Gables on Sunday afternoon here. There you go. Well, certainly. Uh, 301 and 302 potentially to look forward to there? Uh, I can't say they're very <laughs> good teams. So. Yeah, we shall see. Well, going from, from Florida State beating one team in the Carolinas to a potential matchup they have this coming Saturday against North Carolina, who, not to the extent that Florida State has, has had a puzzling season, but a couple of really puzzling and disappointing losses for this North Carolina team that had lofty expectations heading into the season. They get upset on the road week one at Virginia Tech, and then they get beat by Georgia Tech, of all teams. Now, Georgia Tech also took Clemson to the wire, but we've learned that Clemson is not who we thought they were, uh, as evident by us talking about them on the show. Uh, but really quickly, Gabe, what, what's, you know, Florida State, 17-point underdog going on the road to Chapel Hill. Uh, what's one thing, if Florida State has any chance of, of pulling off an upset here, that you're looking at or that needs to happen for Florida State? you got to start off, right? Right out how they did on Saturday because if Sam Howell gets to a good start and his confidence just goes and FSU is just going to roll over. I think I don't think mm. they're going to battle battle it out on the. You put on a quit watch. Hashtag quit watch. Maybe maybe we'll have to see. Uh, I'm not going to wow. go. I'm not going to go that early, but <laughs> it could happen. Who knows? Um, and yeah, I mean the running game is obviously going to be crucial once again. It's going to be their saving grace. You don't want to rely on Ch- on Jordan Travis that much, but. I think I think it starts with the defense. If they can set the tone with good tackling, no penalties, then they have a shot. But do they really have a shot? I don't think so. I, I think this game's going to go out of hand by halftime. Probably going to go with a score of thirty-eight to seventeen. Thirty-eight seventeen. Hmm. Is that covering? That is not covering. Dang. <laughs> Florida State would not be covering that. Uh, Jackson, real quick. Just get your read on the initial game and give me a score. I was on the pessimism train for the Wake Forest game, and I was right. I was on the optimism train for the Louisville game, and I was wrong. I was on the pessimism, or excuse me, the optimism train for the Syracuse game, and I was right. So I will say I'm on the optimism train again. I'm going. Oh, Lord. I'm going no way. 31-28 again, Florida State. Oh, goodness. Same score. Jack, can you rationalize that at all, what Jackson just gave us, or are you picking North Carolina as well? As they say in Spanish, <laughs> uh, ESPN's beloved FPI gives the Knowles 11.4% chance it's of too going. Low. To That's a chance. <laughs> so you're saying it's um, a chance. And like you said, a loss in Blacksburg, a weird loss in the Mercedes Benz to Georgia Tech. Uh, but one thing that's been of note is that UNC looks uncomfortable away, comfortable at home. The game is in Chapel Hill, though, unfortunately for the Knowles. And FSU's lone away game went pretty bad. The Wake Forest game, 35 14. Probably their worst game of the season besides the Jacksonville State Horror, which we do not mention. <laughs> but F, uh, looking at them head-to-head, UNC leads most categories. The only thing that FC does lead is in rushing, but that's going to be at the hands of Jordan Travis and uh, Jay Sean Corbin and all of them. 
Uh, if they want to get, if the defense wants to do something, you might want to target Josh Downs. That's Sam. That's Sam Howell's favorite weapon. He has almost half of Sam Howell's touchdowns, 40 receptions, 620 yards, while Sam Howell is doing 62%. The running game isn't doesn't have too much going, uh, 423 yards, four touchdowns. And if you're looking for someone on defense for the uh, Tar Heels, uh, Jeremiah Gamel has 26 tackles, and their DB, Jaquarius Conley, has two interceptions, and the second most amount of tackles at 25. So the spread is 17? Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna take UNC. I'll take UNC by 20. Mm. Not just just over the spread, just enough to make yeah. me mad. Jackson, real quick. So I love all those stats. Those stats were wonderful. I'm very grateful that you brought them up. However, but you forgot one. What's that one? Mac Brown's record versus Florida State. <laughs> and that would be winless. Mm. How many games is that? I believe 11. Right. Really? I believe I believe he's 0 and 11 after last year's game. Well, there was a better there was a better FSU team when he was playing. That is true. That uh, is context true. matters there. I, I don't know. I, I look at this game. Florida State's only chance is if they get off to the same start that they got off against North Carolina last year. I don't envision that happening on the road at Chapel Hill against a, a still talented North Carolina team that is probably going to still be mad about last year's result against Florida State, and I just think there are way too many flaws. I'm going to go Tar Heels 35 Florida State 24. Florida State's going to cover. But North Carolina gets the victory. We shall see. We shall see if Florida State builds off this Syracuse win or not. Kind of just really, really quickly wrapping up the rest of college football around the country. Uh, another insane, insane week for the top the top 10 with four more teams going down. Now, we had two matchups, uh, Georgia-Arkansas and uh, Cincinnati-Notre Dame that were between top 10 teams. But... Really quickly, Jack, Cincinnati going on the road to South Bend and upsetting, not even upsetting, they were favored. What am I they talking about? Uh, Cincinnati getting a, a signature win against Notre Dame. Is this quite plainly a win-in-your-in scenario for Cincinnati? I, I, what else do they have to prove besides just winning out? They, they would have to win out. They can't, they can't afford any mistakes. Uh, this seems like a similar situation UCF was in a couple years back, although UCF was not given the credit back then. They were still... Had they done what uh, Cincinnati's had, they'd probably be around 11-12 seed. But now that uh, UFC essentially paved the way for Power 5 teams to have a chance in this playoff, and now you have Cincinnati sitting at 5, they don't exactly have a hard schedule. That's the American Conference. As long as they win out, do what they're supposed to do, and maybe maybe have some convincing wins, I don't see why they couldn't, especially with teams like Oregon are losing to Stanford and Penn State-Iowa 3-4 matchup this weekend. If someone falls and no one can keep up, I don't see why they couldn't sneak in at a four. They yeah. can, they couldn't get a three, but if things go their way, they could snatch a four, step, a four spot. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned it, Jack. A couple of teams leaving the door open for Cincinnati. That includes Oregon and Florida, who both lost on the road. Kind of puzzling games uh, as both of those top ten teams go down uh, to, to what we would consider lesser opponents. Stanford has been one of the bottom bottom teams in Power 5 football for a while now, and Kentucky, with a negative turnover margin, uh, was a double-digit underdog against Florida, but they both pull off those upsets. Uh, what does that just say about how crazy this college football season has been? I have just enjoyed it so much. I think we have been super blessed as fans, uh, minus you know us going to Florida State. Um, <laughs> but um, at, from a, an objective college football viewer, it has been a great season so far. There hasn't been a week W-E-A-K it hasn't been a week week yet yeah. which I've been very excited about and I'm also very excited that Kentucky still controls its own destiny 
Oh, Lord. To they- go to the playoff. <laughs> Mark Stoops, product of Florida State. The Kentucky Wildcats, my mom's alma mater. Go Big Blue. That's what I'm excited about. The rest of the season. There you go. This is just setting up for a, a, a 35-0 Georgia victory over Kentucky down the stretch. Uh, Gabe, we'll go to you real quick to kind of look ahead. Uh, obviously, huge game between Iowa and Penn State there. Uh, and also Oklahoma. Are they on upset watch against Texas? I don't think so. I think Oklahoma comes out and they, they handle their business. It's going to be a rivalry game, obviously, but I think Oklahoma is way more talented than Texas, and they're going to be way better coached. I think Lincoln Riley is just going to outcoach the other team, and Oklahoma, they need this one. They need this one because they haven't convinced anybody that they're top four yet, so they're going to be hungry to actually um, not just be content with a win. Uh, as big as a, a win over Texas it may be, I think that they're going to want to actually hit the gas pedal on this game and, and try to get some credibility going forward because you know, they're not going to have that many great games going forward because they're in the Big 12. So, yeah, they, they should they should take care of business. But if they don't, then well, you say this, you say the Big 12 like they haven't struggled with with Big 12 teams up to this point. You still got Oklahoma State on the sky. I still think Texas can can pull off an upset. Spencer Rattler, I think, kind of rebounds. It's been, he's been needing a breakout game for a while. I think he gets it against Texas. Uh, we shall see there. Moving on from college football, though, transitioning to the NFL and what was. At the start of the weekend, a pretty huge slate of games, uh, and it was all capped off. Guys, we get another absolutely phenomenal Sunday night football game there. <clears throat> this one was probably the most hyped and most, I, I would I would wager, the most watched uh, when this, the, the TV numbers come out, uh, most watched regular season game of all time, in my opinion. And, and before we enter Sebastian Angeliano, who is our resident uh, Bucks reporter right here, I guess. Uh, Sebastian, how you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I now understand why and the uh, Vietnam Sports group me, uh, Jackson was able to prattle off the entire you know fight song for Kentucky. You know that ex- that explains a lot. Uh, but apart from that, I'm, I'm doing pretty when, good. When Florida loses like that, Florida State fans and, and they, they they do the research. So. That's no. I, my mom went to no. Yeah. My mom went to Kentucky. They're like my secondary team. So it go. was a double whammy. Florida lost and Kentucky won. There I you could go. not be happier. Yeah. But anyway, Sebastian, talking about this huge game, Tom Brady going back to Foxborough. Now it's different from an outside perspective. I'm sure a lot of outside fans, and even some Bucks fans, were annoyed by the time the game rolled around of, of, of all the hype that, that this game came with. But in my opinion, it delivered a, a really ugly, rainy night in Foxborough, something that Tom Brady is used to at this point. But it's an ugly 19-17 to win for the Buccaneers over Tom Brady's former team. Uh, just get your initial thoughts, what you thought of, of all the theatrics leading up to it and then the game itself. So I actually want to answer your first question because I do know that off the top of my head. It was about 29 million viewers, largest uh, regular season crowd since 2012. It was like a Cowboys-Redskins game or something. Or, sorry, football, uh, football team. team game yeah, yeah. Uh, back then. Uh, but moving on from that game, I mean, I, I think the closer, it, it's almost like the, the center of, a, of the galaxy or something like that. The closer you are actually to those two individuals, the more sick of it you are. <laughs> but, uh, and nobody was sick more sick of it, clearly, than uh, Belichick and Brady. I mean, both of them were like, listen, I don't know why you guys keep trying to, you guys referring to us, I guess, the media, uh, to build up this, you know, bad blood type of matchup. It's really not. We worked together for 20 years. We very clearly have a great respect for each other. You don't just work with somebody for 20 years and not like them at the end of the day. Um, you can't. You just can't do that. Uh, so the closer you are, the, the more annoying it was, I suppose. As a Buccaneer fan, 
Well, it was just uh, it, it's hard to say it's just another game on the calendar, right? Because your your skipper very much does not feel that to be the case. I think that was reflected in his game. I think he was a little too excited about the game, uh, regardless of whether or not he was locked in or not. I don't think he's played poorly. Uh, I don't think Mac Jones outplayed him, but I don't think that was Tom Brady at 100%. Uh, it was ultimately just Tom Brady doing what he needed to do when to win a football game. Well, I don't think that you could expect 100% in those conditions. Which, like, yeah, like, like, absolutely, uh, no, I absolutely agree. I absolutely rain aside, agree. you knew he was going to come amped up for the game. Yeah. And by, But by the end of the game, he was dropping dimes right into Antonio Brown's hand that could have put the game away there. I thought Brady played fine. I thought Belichick gave him some I, looks I that, that would give I, anyone trouble. What what this game was is if we're really going to lean into the theatrics here, then let's let's act like it's a play because it was it was really a game played out in three acts. In act one, it was raining. All right. Uh, and everybody on both sides of the ball kind of had to feel things out. The only thing that really was clicking for anybody here was the Buccaneers rush defense, holding the uh, Patriots to negative one yards rushing for the entire game. All right. Other than that, I mean, it's more of the same for for uh, the Buccaneers secondary, where it's you're either uh, getting smoked or you're straight up just losing guys. Uh, losing Carlton Davis is a huge blow for that program. Um, Losing, uh, yeah, losing Carlton Davis is a huge blow for that program. Uh, I don't know where they're going to find more uh, uh, cornerbacks and and more secondary to to patch the patch the bleeding right now because it feels like every week it's another guy that goes down. Uh, you know, uh, we're just holding out for Sean Murphy Bunting to come back in. Can we just say how crazy it is how Richard Sherman has been on that roster for what four Wednesday days? since he Wednesday literally got there Wednesday starting. Or he's, at least he, getting significant reps. He is their de facto leader of the secondary right now. He got a fumble that, recovery. That's fumble how recovery. Bad, that's, right. that's how bad things are in Tampa when it comes to the secondary. It's not even that they lost guys or they didn't re-sign guys. No, just, they've just lost guys over the past seven weeks uh, to straight-up injury. It, it's bad there. Fortunately, the, the rush game has has been there to, to stop the bleeding, I suppose, and you can't just exploit every side of the ball. But... Um, Ultimately, yeah, the second act was just, you know, when the final, the rain finally subsided, you got to see two masters of the game at work. Um, and those masters, for me personally, were, were, were Bowles and Belichick with their defensive plays. Um, Bowles is just trying everything that he has in his toolkit. Todd to, Bowles? Yeah, Todd Bowles. Okay, I didn't, Todd, I didn't Bowles. Did I say Bowles? Yeah. I, I start, I'm sorry. <laughs> Todd Bowles. Um, like actual Bowles. No. <laughs> I mean, my, my stomach was not. Oh, as a Bucks still. fan, my stomach was turning on it. Yeah. I that thought game had was, five lead changes. I as mean, a Bucks fan, you're thinking there's no way you can you if you're Brady, there's no way you can come back here and lose yeah. that. As game. a Saints fan, the, you're just saying there is a way. There is a way. No, <laughs> actually, this, like if there's a, over this past over the past 300 days since the the Buccaneers lost before uh, the LA game, the Buccaneers hadn't lost a game in 300 games um, or 300 days. A, a, a strange sense of calm has kind of washed over me if that if that man has the ball back. Yeah. Uh, within the last two minutes of the game, if you need something done, I he's done it for twenty years. There's if, if it were Jameis, I wouldn't have I would have the same sense of calm because it's just like there's no way that Jameis can pull this out. <laughs> like there's something bad will happen in this drive, and I don't know what it is. I think I know what it is. It's going to be an interception. Um, but uh, the man has caused me so much pain. Yeah. Well, certainly a a a really weird theatrical game that comes down to the wire. Weird decision I thought by Belichick. To kick that fifty-six yard in the rain. I don't think so. That was that. It, it was still within that guy's range. Uh, you only really have a problem with that kick if you're you have if you lack distance, and that kick did not have lack distance. 
It's just kicking under those conditions eventually yeah. becomes. That's what I'm saying. Like 56 yarder in the rain is not the same as a 56 yarder in 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 perfect conditions. But I, I, I or kind of, or the same as like a 30 yarder in the rain. Like they're all different. I just thought these were the worst of both. It was. I, yeah. There was a re- there was a report saying that the in, uh, the kicker did have an injured leg. Yeah. Which also goes back to the question of why would you try from fifty six? Why would you try that? It's a fourth he, and three. He hit it from fifty two. That's true. I think the I better know. the better argument is why don't you go for it in fourth and three? Like you've been Mac able to. Yeah, Jones right. Mac Jones has been think, cooking. Yeah, Belichick at that I, to this point, I don't think he trusts Mac Jones to go for it. Which I'm like, he's been he's been cooking this secondary all night. Yeah. I, I thought he would. We'll, we'll we'll move on from from the Brady Belichick game. Bucks obviously win. Patriots fall to one and three. Do we? St- uh, I still have confidence that they can muster up some sort of record there. I think they're the second best team in their division, so that's, yeah. that's saying something. I mean, their competition is a Dolphins team led by Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. Uh, hey, that's yeah, not you're inspiring. Playing against, so not inspiring. We might, shall might... see. On the complete opposite coast, though, the Cardinals went into SoFi Stadium and kind of kicked the Rams' butt a week after we all proclaimed the Rams on this show to be the best team in the NFL after they dethroned the Buccaneers. Uh, Kyler Murray, obviously an incredible game. He had another two touchdowns. Scrambling, making plays all around. Uh, Chase Edmonds, James Conner on the ground were awesome. And the defense, the defense actually stifled uh, Matt Stafford in this Rams offense, which we were praising uh, a week earlier. Gabe, are we going to do the same thing with the Cardinals that we did with the Rams last week and say they're the team to beat? Or are we kind of pumping the brakes and, and seeing what becomes of this NFC West? I look like a hypocrite and I sound like a hypocrite because I probably should be saying that because they're 4-0. But the Cardinals don't have any history of actual success in the playoffs or in big moments. And obviously with Cliff, Cliff Kinsbury, I, I don't have any confidence like I would with Sean McVay. So I, I think it's going to be a marathon for this, this division. Right now they're 4-0. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they're probably the best team. But at the same time, like, the Cardinals struggled against Jacksonville last week. So I, I'm not really confident in them going forward as much as I'm with the Rams. I think the Rams, they, they were so focused on the Bucks. And I don't blame them for it, but they obviously overlooked the Cardinals. Uh, and, I mean, I think this is a product of what Kyler Murray is. He is such a game changer. and You can never account for for his running ability as much as you think you can before the game. And, and you don't really run into as many quarterbacks as Kyler. I mean, you can say maybe Lamar, but that's the thing. If, you don't, if you're not practicing uh, with that mindset of, oh, this guy's just going to take off any second, and then, oh, wait, no, he's pumping the brakes, and he's throwing a ball 30 yards down the field with four incredible receivers – I mean, I can't blame the Rams as much as I probably should, but I think the Rams are going to have to, you know, get back on track and, and, and prove people that they are actually the best team in the NFC because right now you can make a case for the Cardinals and or even the Bucks. Yeah. So, yeah, the Rams the, the Rams are not going away. The, the season is still long, so. Yeah. The one thing I, I look at for the Cardinals, if you can tell me that Kyler Murray is going to make it a whole 17 games exactly. healthy without any shoulder problems, yeah. without any, any big hits that he takes – uh, then I would say that I have more faith in the Cardinals to, to actually win this division. Completely if you can't, agree. it's a completely different story. And based off of what we've seen from Kyler Murray, he's going to get dinged up a little bit. It happened the first three years of his career so far. Can't we just say, though, that Kyler Murray, I don't think he's really getting the respect he deserves. And really? What, and what well, I mean is he that... He probably is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's taking this team to a 4-0 record, and I don't know if you'll remember, right before he got drafted, they were the worst team in the NFL. And, yeah. Um, you know, some of these young quarterbacks haven't really panned out. A lot of them haven't panned out the way they thought they would. I think Kyler Murray has definitely exceeded expectations That's so sure. far. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the MVP front runner right now, so he's about to get the respect he deserves. 
Um, but but yeah, I think the Cardinals are just taking the the fast track towards success, which I mean, it's not like the Rams haven't either with all their spending uh, in the last couple of years. But I think the Cardinals, they're they're a regular season team. I don't think this this team is built to win in the postseason because they're so offense oriented and so Kyler dependent. So at some point, I think Kyler might get dinged up and his receivers might not make the plays that they're accustomed to. Uh, but but yeah, he definitely deserves a lot more respect. He's probably getting himself in the top five quarterback conversation. I would say. Yeah, we shall see. A couple other things. This one was kind of weird. Uh, and this was off the field, by the way. <laughs> Over the weekend, guys, Jacksonville Jacksonville is going through some stuff right now. Uh, their head coach, it is leaked. Not even leaked. It's just posted. Photos, videos, you name it. Urban Meyer, after the loss against Cincinnati on Thursday, which, by the way, he looked like he just lost the Super Bowl. If you, if you go back and you look at his post-game presser after losing a Thursday night game, to a better Cincinnati team, he looks absolutely dejected. Well, the next couple of days, he doesn't take a team flight home, stays in Dublin, Ohio, and is caught at a bar with, I don't even want to get into it, but definitely uh, actions and, and, and behavior that he had to apologize for in today's press conference. Uh, Jack, can you, I mean, where does Jacksonville go? How can they keep him on as head coach there, uh, knowing that he's got this stuff going on in his personal life. In terms of the personal stuff, I'm not going to get too much into that. What I do want to say, though, in terms of the Jacksonville front, is that that was the closest they were to a win, and that's you, you could see that. That was the best game they had played. Uh, Trevor Lawrence wh- Trevor Lawrence was looking actually decent for the first time in yeah. the first four weeks, looking like what we all thought he'd be. And, you know, he's been on record of saying every week feels like he's playing Alabama in the NFL. <laughs> so to feel dejected after four games, I don't see why not. And along with some uh, rumors and conspiracies that he's all trying to tank for the USC job, that's all oh, fun. Lord. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like he he had to have had more tempered expectations than this, right? I mean, he went to the worst team in the NFL. That's the reason they got Trevor Lawrence, Sebastian. Uh, right, what do you make of all, all this? First of all, you guys are overreacting a little bit. I mean, this is the National Football League, after all. You can get away with much, much worse. And getting caught out, and as a, maybe as a player, but for a head know, coach to be caught like this, man, it's it's rough. But that that's not what I'm what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is that this team is quietly getting closer and closer to that break point, where um, they will eventually win a football game, come hell or high water. I I, I definitely think it's going to come sooner rather than later. I'm eyeing particularly. First of all, the Titans looked completely beatable last week against uh, right. against the Jets. Uh, Zach Wilson had a coming out party. Uh, where he looked, he didn't look perfect, but he looked good enough to to beat the uh, the Titans. It looked great, honestly. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is gonna get there eventually. I think it's coming really, really quickly. So he's got two winnable games just in this month alone on the slate. He's got the Titans, um, and he's got the Dolphins in London. All right, those two games could be the breaking point when it's like they finally win games. It's like okay, this could finally work out. Um, I'm not saying he's the the head coach of the future for him. Uh, for that organization, but to uh, completely be like dismissive of a program that's that's taking its licks right now, as it's done since 2000. What? When did they reach the NFC Championship? 2017. 2017. It's taken its licks ever since, but they're going to get there eventually. They, am I am I blessing them with a six and eleven season? No, they're going to go like two and fifteen. Two and fifteen. Yeah. Seventeen seasons, man. 17 Jackson. Seasons, man. Obviously, what Urban Meyer did was egregious and terrible um 
Will they fire him for it? I don't know. But can I just say that Urban Meyer and Miami are a match made in heaven? <laughs> they would be perfect for each other. They're both dysfunctional. They both used to have great pass. I think Miami. You're referring Urban, to uh, University of Miami, correct? Correct. Not Miami of Ohio <laughs> or the Miami Dolphins, but the Miami Hurricanes, correct? Dolphins might be looking for a new head coach soon. I don't know. Brian Flores. Kind of wasted all the goodwill that he built up the last couple of years, but I don't want to get into Dolphins talk. That's boring. Uh, <laughs> really quickly, wrapping up the yeah, NFL Kerry slate, though. in shambles right now. <laughs> How could you do this to him? Really quickly, though, but uh, as we get to the final couple of minutes of the show, or wrapping up NFL talk here, uh, Raiders-Chargers. Jack, you want to give me a beat on this? Huge, huge game in the AFC West tonight. I would just like to go on record on saying I don't think the Raiders are that good. So the two teams that came out of the gates hot last year were the Raiders and the Cardinals. Now, if I had to pick one to do better or make the playoffs, I would say the Cardinals. The Raiders have a history of getting off to a good start. And we saw that last year with Derek Carr where we're thinking, oh, is he a potential top five quarterback? And then by the time they get into the meat of their um, divisional schedule, like they will tonight, it's when they, you start seeing them fall apart and John Gruden not really adjusting. Adjusting, yeah. But as for the Chargers, I was completely wrong on Justin Herbert. Um, I thought he was kind of be going to be a bust, and by the looks of it, he's proved me wrong every week. So I like um, – I want to call him San Diego. They, st- they still <laughs> think – yeah. But I think L.A. can come out with a decent, I think, 10-point victory over the Raiders. I do not feel confident the Raiders going 4-0. Hmm. I, I like the Raiders' pass rush, though. I will say that. I, that's decent. And I think it w- I think this go- would go a lo- way longer way for the Raiders – to win this game and kind of put their their foot on the throat of that division mm-hmm. at four and zero like that than it would be uh, if the Chargers just uh, get into a three way tie. But to, uh, there was talk going into this week prior saying that the uh, AFC West crown was up for grabs. That that was complete nonsense. The Chiefs got it. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, you mm. you could potentially have three three and one teams or uh, one three and one team and one four and zero team so far this season in, in the AFC West. I don't know. I, the Chiefs clearly aren't as good as they've, they've been in the past, in my opinion. I didn't like, I didn't like the, two, the two games that they played where they lost. It was uh, an incredible Sunday Night Ravens game. Uh, I don't know who to put that down to exactly, perhaps inconsistency. I've seen this both from them and the Buccaneers, though, where they're making um, uncharacteristic mistakes, both yeah. on the defensive end and obviously someone can't keep hold of the football in the in the Chiefs' backfield. So. It's because both those teams have this gear that they can enter where it's like, okay, um, we've got this gear, we can win this football game mm-hmm. uh, now. And the, the Chiefs almost hit it like a drug. Uh, where it's um, they 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 play like that they play messy they play sloppy for the first half of the game they're they're within an arm's reach of this team that desperately wants to be that team that beats the Chiefs that week and then uh, you know all all Mahomes has to do is find Tyreek Hill twice and the game's over mm-hmm. yeah um, that's fair yeah we shall see what it, what it boils down to in the AFC West there but final minute show. I want to get this really quick. I wish I had more time to talk about this because it is my absolute favorite time of the year for my favorite sport, bar none. Uh, It's October baseball. It's postseason baseball time. It kicks off tomorrow, Tuesday, Yankees-Red Sox wildcard, Sebastian. I know we've been locked into these two teams because our team plays against them in the AL East. Uh, But does it get any better than a win-or-go-home scenario for these two teams, these two franchises with that pedigree of a rivalry that they have this is like manfred's wet dream isn't it just a just a one game winner take all it's baseball's it's it's baseball's perfect scenario i I don't Mm -hmm. know about you but like 
I think it's 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 overrated one. hating on Yankees Red Sox at this point. Like it's a great rivalry. It's, it's a great rivalry. Uh, I'm not really complaining. I'm not bitter uh, after this week either with the uh, with the game 162 potential chaos, team chaos outcome where the Yankees and the Sox both lost and uh, the Jays and the Mariners had won uh, their games. We would have had a four-way tie yeah. going into game 162. That ended up not happening. The bad guys ended up winning. <laughs> but um, it's just, uh, I mean, we've, we've seen it. Like, it's this, I feel like every time I turn on the TV, it's the Monday night baseball matchup. It's like I, I live in Groundhog Day. I live on Groundhog Day <laughs> where the Yankees play the Red Sox yeah. on, uh, on Monday night baseball. Now they play tomorrow on Tuesday. Yeah, well, th- for this iteration, um, who, who do you got? Cause I, I don't know. So, so the Yankees have to play. Cole, right? They okay. Are. Oh, Garrett that, Cole is pitching. Confirmed. Garrett already, Cole is pitching. Yeah, I, I don't know who the uh, the Sox are starting. Um, oh, hey, oh, they're cool. putting. No, it's Nathan Eovaldi. It's okay. That's yeah. That's that's the play. Um, who do I? If I had a gun to my head and I had to to pick somebody to pull it through, I'd have to pick the Red Sox because every time it feels like somebody's got to go big or go home. Uh, on the Yankees, you kind of turn to Aaron Judge, but he didn't really do anything. And it's, it turns out being Brett Gardner. Who actually does something? You think Brett Gardner does something? Uh, I, but Aaron Judge doesn't. Not, not like it feels like it. That that's the case at times. I honestly, I've got, no. Hang on, relax, relax, relax. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. I honestly, at this point, I'm kind of like whoever's going to come, let them come for the ALDS. That's my <laughs> mentality going into this game. Yeah. Um, I honestly have the the socks by two runs. Socks by two runs, and then in the other wild card game. You have the 106-win Dodgers oh, absolutely. going up against yes, the yes. Devil Magic Cardinals. You have yeah, no idea Cardinals. how... Yeah, Taking the Cardinals, yeah, Jack? I, I will take the Cardinals. I understand. I pretty This is not confirmed, but Max Scherzer is probably going to pitch. Oh, he you is. Got, oh, he is? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Adam Wainwright is, I assume, also pitching for the Cardinals. Yep. And uh, it's the World Series champs versus September's uh, flavor of the month. It really is an interesting match. And, uh, I mean, if the Cards can come back from the dead, everyone wrote them off. If they can come back, why can't they take down a 106-win Dodgers team? Uh, to be the pessimist of baseball, I just want to see things crash and burn. So I will take the Cardinals to win it, especially when you got Paul Goldschmidt almost hitting at 300 and Nolan Arenado still making consistent plays over 105 or 105 RBIs. It, that that is the case, honestly. Honestly, you have to you have to acknowledge the fact that when it comes to the postseason in baseball, it's just blind luck. You can you can have 106 wins, especially in a one game. If you want yeah. to talk about series, that's different. You want you want to look at one team in particular. What about the team that won 112 games instead in 2001? What happened to them? <laughs> they got beaten a series. I mean, they yeah. got beaten a six game series. It, it yeah. could. Ha- I'm not saying that it couldn't happen that the Dodgers. Here's my problem. It, you got everyone got to play hot, and they're playing hot. Right, but at the same time, the Dodgers have won nine out of ten, seven in a row. Like they are the second best team in baseball, and they're probably still the most talented team in but baseball. But there's one team who With had a Matt little bit of a better record, and that was the Cardinals. Uh, in, in September. In oh, September. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. In September. In September, right? But the Dodgers are still on a 17 is a bigger number oh, than nine. The Dodgers move. are still on a 44 and 13 stretch, I believe, of games. It's uh, it's unprecedented what they've done the last 50 games or so. So we shall see. Here's I'm going to take the Dodgers. Thing, I'm going to take the Here's Dodgers. The thing, Luke. You don't need 162 right now. You need one. And I trust the 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 better team. That's not in a this bad opinion. bet. That's not a bad bet. But we, we shall see. We here on the panel. I I will speak for Jack here. We want to see things burn. I know you guys do. Also, the home run leader and RBI leader, Max Muncy, is out. So why why can't there be room for chaos at we this point? We shall see. I, I have faith in uh, Mookie Betts and, and Trey Turner as well. Anytime also, you can lose Muncy and have those guys 
it's it's not a bad trade-off. There. I'm going to leave one thing, and that is the winner of the AL wildcard uh, is going to the ALCS. I'm not going to provide any more info. But Good joke there. That's funny. I don't, I don't like that take. I will That's not funny. provide that any more information. Jack's got jokes here as we wrap up. Right. Tomahawk, Tomahawk. That was somehow worse that than hurt, the, the Max take last week. I don't like this. <laughs> All right, let's I get out of here, boys. Tomahawk talk. <laughs> From myself, Luke Hazen, Gabe Tisnes in the co-host chair, Sebastian, Jackson, Jack, Scott back in the prod booth, everyone here tonight. This has been Tomahawk Talk. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.